Good morning and welcome to Let's Have the Conversation. Today we are here with Sabre Lion and we will be discussing healing epigenic and spiritual trauma of white ancestors. So hey, Sabre, talk to me. This is exciting. I love it. Yes, I love the concept of epigenetics and how we carry with us our ancestors so clearly. It's so, so beautiful that science is proving it. <laughs> I know, it's like they're finally catching up to the spiritual community and we have been sitting here for generations trying to get to the point of healing and maybe now people will believe it because science. <laughs> for those who are not aware, would you like to give a clear description of what epigenics are? Yeah, so epigenetics are kind of like the dust on the DNA. So um, throughout the DNA, there are these little pieces that um, give us kind of a, a history of um, our blood lineage and theories behind it. It's a really new science. It's like 15 years old. And the, the theories behind it are um, when people are in utero, um, people with ovaries have every egg that they're ever going to have. So when my mother was in my grandmother's body, I was in my grandmother's body as an egg. And so at the very least, even though science has proven that we've at least got 10 generations um, of uh, lineage within our DNA, um, the, the very least, any stress that my grandmother experienced, my mother got that in utero and I also got that in utero and and from there so absolutely and though it's a new science 15 years or so like you said I mean even if you go to um the bible and they talk about generational curses these are the things that you're talking about and I only say the bible not saying that there's nothing that precedes that because I happen to just grow up like catholic so you know you kind of you know along with my catholic guilt that I must mention that um <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's just something in America we understand, right, as like the basis of our foundation is puritanical yes. Christianity. So like those things really do like it's encoded in our DNA, like eye color, hair texture, all of those things is just a part of our makeup, those traumas, those everything yes. that we're going through starts becoming who you actually are. So though you're removed from those generations and their actions, it's still very much a part of you and within you. So healing that is super necessary, I agree. Yeah, and they have also been proving that in healing these pieces in ourselves, it actually changes our DNA. So that's just another layer in which we do heal our ancestors. <laughs> right, heal ancestors and what's even more so, you heal your future lineage. Yes. It's like, that's like, you know, doing the shadow work, like that's actually what I specialize in is shadow work. Doing it on yourself is literally that really cool meme that was like, you know, it ran through my family and it stops here and people like share this, but it's like, no, you literally have that power. Like it did and it can stop with you and you could heal the past and the future and yourself because it's all happening at the same time. Like, yes. You know, and American individualism has kind of disconnected us from our ancestors, like, or from other people groups even, right? Like, no, no, I am me. I have nothing to do with that. And it's like, no, you are a culmination of all of them. You have everything to do with that. Good, bad, and indifferent, because there's some great things that have come from very horrible people also. So we have to kind of see the 
total picture and total vision of who a person is. So yes, that's why I hate the good bad dichotomy. <laughs> right. And that is how I discovered you. Like I'm on TikTok, minding my TikTok big business. And I'm like, who is this human? I must know them now. <laughs> I didn't even scroll any more of your videos before I messaged you and was like, would you please check out my podcast? And like, would you be interested? Because that is like what I've been railing against forever is mm -hmm. releasing all binaries and constructs. The yes. prison create for another person is one that you create for yourself. So if we can only see good and bad, there's like, mm. that's, that's like really, a dehumanizing way, right? Like I've not always been a great person or definitely not who I am now, you know? And I joke when people tell me, oh, you're so, I'm like, I'm a terrible person. I'm terrible. Like I have moments where I am absolutely terrible. I think terrible thoughts. I say terrible things and that's okay. That's, I'm a human, you know? And I'll fix yeah. it. What I know now is not what I knew 10 years ago. And maybe some of this will be wrong 10 years from now. So, you know, yeah. inevitably. <laughs> Right. If, if you're choosing growth, let's say that you're choosing yes. growth. So I have a set of questions and usually mm -hmm. I just have like, okay, it's a flow, but your answers were so precise that I want to ask them very clearly. Okay. So then you can just go off on that. So my first question was in your own words, describe or define your podcast topic. Okay. So um, as somebody who is a white person in a white supremacist society, um, it's very hard when our ancestral lineage is um, just filled with so much hate. Um, and so, you know, this is something that I've been very passionate about for years. And this last couple of years, I finally had friends start asking me, how as a white person are you working with ancestors? Um, in your practice. And so um, to be able to name a handful of the methods with which we can we can unwind this knotted mess, um, it, it allows for us to become less harmful humans. And ultimately, like that is kind of my goal in daily life. Um, I'm sure I didn't answer quite like I did when I wrote it out, but... <laughs> No, that's absolutely perfect. Just like I, I just wanted to kind of like get the idea because this is a really huge thing for me because what people don't recognize in America and even white people don't recognize in America is that the foundation of whiteness and race is a construct. It's made up. When they first came here to colonize, they were not white. That, did, that wasn't a thing. They were British. They were French. They were wherever they came from. And they had a culture. They had a language. They listened to music. They ate certain types of food. And when they colonized and then went to war with Britain, and then they were just left here. Because <laughs> when the king was like, Yeah, I'm over it. Okay, fine. You guys won. I don't, it's it's too much work to be bothered. <laughs> Keep that piece of land, whatever. Um they were left like, oh, now what? And what does this look like? And mm -hmm. who are we? Because we're cut off from everything. At that point in time, there was no, you weren't going to go to war with the king and then travel back, right? Right. 
You I weren't going to go. I honestly back think it came camera. earlier, though, right? Like, I'm sorry. Well, I, I honestly think it came earlier because when um, Christianity took over, you know, West Europe, um, you know, there was tribal culture. There was um, individual families and and much smaller. You know, it wasn't the European nation at that point, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And it's very much the same way that Africa was colonized, or that we've colonized Central America, or whatever. Um, it's just that, like we said earlier before you started recording, that that other side of genocide truly is continuing and perpetuating that genocide. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like in America they homogenized when they yeah. created race, right? Like, okay, well, you know what? You look like me, you look like me, you look like me, and we need to subjugate some people. So we're gonna subjugate the people that don't look like us. Um, and what are those people, right? Because the easiest way to subjugate people is to remove their humanity, right? Yeah. It's been proven throughout mm -hmm. history. Any type of group that has been, you know, um, exposed i don't even know that you know anybody that has experienced genocide on especially like a huge national level has they were they were dehumanized first right mm -hmm. and with the jews they were rats they were dogs couldn't trust them you know uh the irish were scoundrels and they were rats and like you know the the africans were savages the natives were savages and beasts of men amongst men like you had to dehumanize because you can't do that to another human no. so they created and constructed race so now you have <laughs> white people and anybody that is non-melanated now falls into this category and therefore has divine providence <laughs> right it's wild right like i'm like thinking of the foundations and it's like wow <laughs> and anybody else doesn't right. because they're not us and that sentiment has carried throughout mm -hmm. the world the anti-blackness mm -hmm. of it all right mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. everywhere you'll see it in caste systems you'll see it in like reasons why people do many things that they do is just mm -hmm. anti-blackness in its entirety and i think the fundamental core of that and where the healing would come from or at least start is fear mm -hmm. right because really when you think of white it is actually the minority even amongst mm -hmm. the world if we're going to just go in context of melanated and non-melanated, non-melanated people are the minority. And fear is a hell of a motivator. Yeah. So it's like the cool kids in high school of 3000, like five kids are running the high school and setting the tone. And that to me is white culture. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Colonizers will colonize. <laughs> right. And the reason for the colonization is the loss of their own connection to whoever they were. Mm -hmm. Their ancestral healing is something that is super duper needed because it's what's for me is keeping us in this loop. Yes. Right? Like, yes. Just constantly over and over again, colonizing, taking, taking from something else, taking from someone else, appropriation, all the things that we complain about mm -hmm. really comes from that foundation of you're being, you're lost. And if you connect to who you once were, 
you won't have the need, right? Like, yeah, just won't. Like I am a mixed race woman. I'm Irish and black. I practice both. I practice hoodoo as a descendant of slaves and I practice Celtic magic because Mm -hmm. those are mine. I don't jump in and start doing Romany stuff because I'm not Romany. (laughs) Like, but I recognize that (laughs) like, it's like the most simple concept to me, but I recognize that that's because I have an ethnicity and a culture Mm -hmm. to cling to and white America doesn't have that culture to cling to. So like that leads me into like asking more so like in regards to this healing work, with epigenetics, where do you as a white person in this world begin? How do you help others? Where do they start? Right. It's, it's tricky. It really depends on the person, right? Like it's all individualized. Um, for myself, you know, the, the magic that I work with, the, the spiritual work that I do, um, it's taken me many, many years um, to come to the place that I'm at, um, now, obviously, like as with everything, but, um, you know, you know, learning, okay, these things that the media says, oh, this is witchcraft, or this is like, whatever, and it's like, oh, this is all cultural appropriation, like, the day that I learned that, I think as a teenager, I was like, okay, scratch all the things, um, I was invited in, um, for, uh, five to eight years, um, learning, um, kind of from a, a Hawaiian perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't claim that that is not a piece of my practice, but from, um, being gifted and privileged the opportunity to step in, you know, dip my toes in a little bit, um, by my, my teachers, my kumus, um, I have, been given this opportunity to understand that if I sit and pray about it, um, the methods will then be given to me. I agree. So one of my favorite um, protection techniques for myself is to wrap myself in a crystalline web of transmutational light. That was literally given to me in meditation. Um, I had a terrible migraine, was rocking with the pain and said, please, I need help and just called for help. And to, it it was like a a layer of things, right? So first it was, okay, I have to call my soul into my body. And I'd been doing that since I was a a teenager, thanks to teachers. I've been given such amazing mentors in my life, like just so grateful. Um, So calling my body, uh, myself into my body and then realizing, oh, I need to call myself into every space in between the cells every organism that is not technically me, you know, fully filling out this, this vessel, um, understanding that my soul is bigger than this flesh vessel. Right. And so right. that pain that is not mine, that it is coming through me to, to create that webbing of separation. So my soul outside of this vessel can hold that pain that needs to be held until it's ready to be released. Um, and from there, it's just transmutational, right? So I use it for all sorts of things. I surround my house in it. I, you know, when I work on people, I ask for permission to surround them in it. My wife and I very much have moments where like, okay, we're having a heated conversation. Let's take a moment, put up some mirrors so that we receive the energy we're giving out instead of each other's energy. And so that we can transmute this. Um, so coming to these, these methods, it's genuinely been either 
um, people stepping in at just the right time and, and kind of being like, oh, like that grounding technique never works for me either. Like I can't root myself. If I just root myself, it doesn't <laughs> work. Like I am flying. Well, I, I live in spirit and in earth at the same time in equal amounts. I have to grow my limbs or I'm just going to fly away. Right. right. Um, and so it's, I, I just kind of have collected things and been like, okay, these are things that I can share. These are things that I can't share. Um, these are things I'm allowed to use, things I'm not allowed to use, that kind of thing. Um, so my magic is very simple and it's mostly prayer. I like that. Yeah. I mean, prayer is amazing because it's time with self, you know, and you do have to get into your body, right? Like in a real way, you have to take up space. And I think that what is not often discussed is I know for non white people they see white women and femmes and they like they take up all the space and i'm like they do within our spaces but within their own spaces they take up zero space like in their homes they're not taking up space in their practices they're not taking up space right and why we get so exhausted with them is because then they leave that space and they're everywhere else taking up space. And so I find that that ancestral healing will allow them to empower themselves mm -hmm. because there is a lack of empowerment within the white community aside from colonizing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the power that comes from whiteness is the taking of something else. Mm -hmm. When if that healing was done, you would take back what's yours. Like that's the difference. Like mm -hmm. that to me is the beauty of healing and releasing the shame. It's, I'm going to take back what was mine. It's, I mean, and for me as a descendant of slaves, it there's shame in that too, right? Like I had to really like working with my ancestors that were actually captured people, I realized they're more than just slaves, right? And it's like, it was an insane thought to me mm. that I never thought that thought before. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, my whole life, I've just been like, well, they were slaves. And I'm like, and when they came to me and, spoke, and they were like, how dare you diminish us to just this one capacity? of our lives you know we were yeah. mothers we were fathers brothers sisters mm -hmm. uncles we sang we danced we loved we cried we were dynamic humans and like that gut punch for me was like oh my god how i want to cry literally like right now how limiting i have made them my own ancestors how powerless I spoke about them instead of thinking of them as these dynamic beings who even in the worst human conditions, they did find joy, they did find love, they did find all of those things in their small communities amongst their own people, you know, they love their children no different than I do. Um, and they dealt with the pain and the grief of losing their children and all of the horrors that came along with them. But what I mostly got from that meditation was, and from consistent ones was, they no longer wanted to be thought of as just slaves. Mm -hmm. And because 
I am also biracial, I always think about things from that other side. It's because though I fully identify with being Irish and correct people immediately, like, no, I'm not white, I'm Irish. Like, I need you to get that straight because that comes with an entire culture. Um, I recognize in America, like, it steals your identity no matter who you are. So when the Irish became white, (laughs) like somewhere in the 60s, 70s, that stripped that culture. And then I realized it's also asking of white people to only see their ancestors as and as enslavers mm. and not seeing the dynamics of all of them as well. And that is blocking the direct work with white people and mm. their ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, we have shame and guilt and we are shutting and cutting off mm-hmm. our ancestors. They were colonizers. They they are abused people and that's it. And though that's also true, it is not the totality of who they are. And if you reach into the human part of them, there's some healing there. There's some DNA, like you said, recoding that can be done. It won't change any actions, but it damn sure will change how you show up in the world. And that makes a major difference. Mm-hmm. to everybody like you said you will become less harmful if you know where you came from yeah what you're made of in a total dynamic and it's not to erase any of the horrors right like just like me saying that they weren't just slaves doesn't erase anything that they went through Ooh. it just shows that these people are all dynamic right and so many lived truths are happening at the same time and if we want to move energetically to the next space and get to ascension because this timeline is frankly draining me <laughs> like i'm like yes we have to do this healing um yeah we have to do this healing yeah i mean a lot of people have been asking recently like what is white culture and in my mind white culture is silence and violent homogenization of everything um and when we interject nuance and when we allow for those multiple layers and we allow for the humanness of everything, like you said earlier, like it really does start to unwind. That guilt and shame bit though is so true because part of this healing is literally reprogramming our brains to say different words. Yes. And I'm somebody who has like a lot of tabs open in my brain at all times. Like right now there is somebody screaming in the back of my head, just primal screaming. That's okay. I got a few things going on too. (laughs) You know, definitely. I'm thinking about a few different things at the same time. I understand. (laughs) My tabs are the same. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But some of those layers are so much those thoughts that are the essentials of white supremacy. And so it's not that I feel them or think them. It's just, it's a constant line in my brain Mm -hmm. of things that do want me to start to hate, right? Like there's this seed of hate that I have inside of me, this, this, that blossoms into pure rage. I mean, I put myself in anger management when I was in middle school. Like I was going to hurt somebody. (laughs) You are amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I also was in anger management, but it was court ordered. So yeah, go off. (laughs) I apparently wasn't as self-aware as a child as you were. (laughs) Well, I was in this very violent household and I didn't, 
school wasn't safe. I was made fun of at school. And so it was like, I knew that I know <laughs> that I am capable of committing atrocity. Um, I never have committed atrocity um, because of my awareness of it. I think a lack of knowing thyself really is a piece of why people are perpetuating it. Because like you said earlier, I'm a good person. I could never do that. I grew up going to work with my mama. She worked in a, a country club. And when I was old enough to start working there, and I cannot tell you how many white women I saw that were saying things equivalent to like off with their heads with that sickly sweet smile, Yes, that, you know, and it's that, that white violence that we were talking about. It's like, I'm constantly trying to release the anger in healthy ways. Um, and, and I feel like that is a huge piece. There's just so much of it and it's not all mine, you know? And oh. so, yeah, like you were saying, like creating this ability to see everybody as human is in itself one way in which we white folk can start that healing. I agree with that. And, but let me ask you like individually, right? Because I mean, like, and this whole thing has, I want to make the disclaimer, the work that you and I are talking about is not going to change the system, like, right. but it will change the people within the system and right. they will get so sick of the system because they'll realize their own upholding in it that that will eventually break the system. So I don't want anybody to listen to this and be like, oh, I'm a good white person because I... <laughs> <laughs> because I do the work and I'm a good human. Like we're trying to get away from that. Like, no, understand that the system is trash because non-good white people created this system to subjugate non-white people. Like, Literally so everybody. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> and that's another layer to it, right? Like really it was created like because white people have made like two races out of white people i literally got almost blocked again on facebook for saying this uh, literally they sent me a warning i was like white people literally created two races out of white people white people and white trash and yes. nobody hates white poor white people more than white people like, they literally <laughs> act like they're not even them like and they have made this staunch line in I'm talking about hardcore line in the sand to the point that we all believe this like yeah. oh they're not white they're white trash and we're like what <laughs> god constructs are insane right and when we keep saying things over and over again creating the reality you know so it is super important that people not listen to this and think that like, yep, just do the work and you're going to be fine. Still break the system because it's holding yeah. us all back. And I'm tired of this timeline, quite frankly. <laughs> Next. I'm so tired of it. It's exhausting. Like, get out of these circle loops and please let's ascend together. Um, <laughs> so now that I went off on that tab, let me try to get back. <laughs> but it's so true though. And I, I do think that like part of my awareness is having been raised very poor, but also in as essentially like a house servant, right? Like I was in this country club going to work with my mom from the time that I was eight. That was the first job I had for the first five years that I worked there. Um, and so, you know, the, the mentality of the rich whiteness and the mentality of the poor whiteness clashed inside of me. 
And it was so helpful to have people because this particular place brings in people from the IRC, the International Rescue Committee, and it also brings in interns from some Nordic school that is like hospitality driven. So there's people from all over the world. There's incredibly rich people that grew up in Dubai, but there's also people who fled to the US from say Dakar because they were the financial advisor in a government that was overthrown and for them to, you know, and, and seeing them now that they, they, they lived in huge mansions and now they are like shining shoes and the kindness and the love that they were still able to hold and to be able to laugh. And I mean, working with people from Bosnia and Serbia who saw each other, you know, being attacked or, or were people that attacked other people, um, and to have them working together and, and the, the healing that was required outside of work for those communities. Yes. Um, you know, just being blessed to have seen that. It's just this opportunity to like stop othering the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I think that like there's a, there's a wonderful, and I almost hate to use the word privilege because it's been so used in so many different ways but there is a privilege to poverty that is not discussed enough right Mm. because often like because that's the great equalizer when you're poor the only color that matters is green (laughs) we're all poor (laughs) 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 like we all ain't got it um (laughs) so it's like you know and when you're exposed especially within these service jobs i myself i had a cleaning company for 20 years so it gave Mm. me Mm-hmm. Like I was in people's homes, mm-hmm. so you get like this vastly different experience because yeah. people are comfortable in their homes, right? So there's been clients that I have to drop because you legit are treating me like the maid, and that yeah. means that's how you live your life. Right. And like, not that I like, I, there's no amount of money to kind of keep me around a crappy human being. <laughs> like you're a terrible person, and I don't want to really be around you. Um, <laughs> and so I've also been exposed you know to all of these different layers of society though they would be homogenized you know by their color only Mm -hmm. and it's like hmm this has been fun this has been interesting over 20 years you know um on top of that i grew up in new york city so like new york city is literally like united nations like i never just heard english in my life living in New York City. You know, I remember when Albanians were like rushing from everything that was going on over there, moving in and like, you like, like I had no idea that like the white people were Muslims. Like, like yeah. you know, like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. Um, so you like in New York City, you just have a completely different, you're literally immersed in others' cultures. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I never grew up saying like, oh, that's my white friend. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, my Italian friend, my Irish friend, you know, Albanian, Yugoslavian, et cetera, et cetera. And that was like what really kind of set it off for me, like, as I got older to really realize, like, then living overseas, too, but then coming to the South, Mm. where nothing has really changed whatsoever, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm as far as the grouping of people. And I'm like, wait, what is this? Why is it like that? And it's, and then I recognize like, well, actually most of America is like that. 
It's that I happen to be in New York City. That was that like America is not a melting pot. New York City is the melting pot. You're going to get every language, ethnicity, mm -hmm. culture, religion, and like be immersed in that culture completely and utterly. Mm -hmm. um, so I recognize that living in New York City actually gave me a worldview without ever having to travel the world. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's super important in seeing individuals, right. seeing people and their culture and kind of getting to know them um, and how that would also aid in white persons getting into their ancestral healing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you said, like with the Serbians and Bosnians, like they were literally killing each other. And if they could work together, like they were neighbors, like stuff. literally neighbors killing neighbors. And like, all of a sudden you're in this other country and like, it's happening. Like you're, you're working to like, right here uh, together. Yeah. Yeah. And even with New York, um, even with New York, um, you know, like the, the school system is so segregated. Like I, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, so still the belt, Bible Belt, but yeah. it's it's this place where we're lauded for being progressive, and I, I've never understood that. We have we are such a segregated society. Like like Charlottesville is so segregated. It's so clear the um the the school systems, the like everything. Yeah, and and it's just like wild that people think that Thomas Jefferson created a like progressive city like he was a literal slave owner what <laughs> like, super duper not progressive there but like, <laughs> <laughs> he's since passed on but for years I was massaging a man who was part of bringing in uh desegregation to UVA so I mean it's this recent thing and people think oh like get over it like move on it's like it, it just happened though it just like it happened. just like there was a news article like in 2017 somewhere here in the south like a school was actually still segregated like mm -hmm. by law like yes. so the get over it thing for me goes right back to the shame and guilt mm -hmm. like if you dealt with your shame and guilt and just accepted it right you just gotta own that like you just have got to take accountability that like you know yeah, you are a part of something absolutely horrible. No, some of you were not even, you know, like some of you were poor and in the cotton fields and getting paid a dollar a day while they were getting nothing. And I get that, but understand that this system was still created to see you as better right. than. And you right. have to accept that. Like, mm -hmm. you have to accept that, yeah, your life may have been shit as a white person, because Lord knows you can go into rural Georgia right now and, like, see, like, nothing has changed for them since the Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, like, and it's absolute abject poverty. You're like, you know, like, people kill me when they're like, we're going to become a third world country. I'm like, you obviously haven't traveled America enough. We are a third world country. And we're a third world country with problems. running water. Like, this isn't capitalism, this is feudalism, period. Absolutely. Like, period. and like, but the key component to that is your life wasn't harder simply because of something you had no control over. Yeah. So on the note of the um, the guilt and, and the layers and, and being able to like take that, that guilt of having perpetuated this harm, because it's very painful to 
to have that, like you said, that punch in the gut and realize like the amount of harm that I have done just by existing in our society. Right. Very painful, right? And then you have this history of not dealing with the pain because what is white culture if not a lack of emotions? Um, you know, That's so true. we're not allowed to feel these emotions. So we're already overflowing as white folk just with these, these emotions, especially as people raised um, you know, as, as a girl, like I was told anger wasn't acceptable. On the other hand, my brother can only feel angry or happy. Um, and so to, to unpack that is kind of a piece of, um, being able to admit and acknowledge and release the guilt of having just done harm by existing. And in my practice, like that's always kind of my goal is, um, I, I do all sorts of techniques and it depends on the person but we always eventually get to the ways in which um, individuals are harmful in society. And I've lost a lot of clients once we get there, you know? Oh, yeah, me too, me too. But the stick with it. <laughs> I have a group on Facebook called Social Matters. And like, I, um, I have a lot of, uh, non-men is the best way I could say, because not everybody identifies as a woman, but they're also not men. So non-men, white people in the group. And like, when I get to that point and I'm like, hold on, because this is going to get harder because actually we're going to get to the point where I'm gonna let you know where feminism left men behind and how the patriarchy actually also oppresses white men. And like, if I say that, I usually lose a bunch of people right then because they want to hate white men. Um, and like, and that's where their comfort is. And I'm like, you have to sit with that for a second and recognize that, um, yeah, that is just some like unfettered, dealt with emotions. You don't really hate this person. You hate the system that was created. He hates it too. He too right. was underneath oppression. This system was really only created for a cis heterosexual white man yes. who owns property. So that like gave you and the body Christian. <laughs> yeah, yes. and was Christian. Like so there, <laughs> at the beginning, it was like the top echelon, right? Like it was never meant for everybody. It was no. never, not even for white everybody's. Mm -mm. It was literally that guy. It was literally the top 1% that we have now, right? Because somewhere on down the line, we all fall somewhere on a spectrum of queerness or binaries of sexuality and genders and all that. So like, if you weren't this guy, that guy, you better be the christian head of your household kill every fucking body <laughs> like white guy you are not going to be able to survive in that system either so like but they're not ready a lot of people they're like what <laughs> we're done cancel that <laughs> and i'm like okay that's okay uh, like and definitely white non-men um uh, women and femmes get super big feelings when i'm like you're by proximity alone, just by your whiteness, you are the bad guy. You have to sit with that. You have to do the work anyway. And they're like, but, 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 and I'm like, I'm not saying there's not nuance because mm -hmm. I grew up inside of white culture. So this is not me outside of white culture. I grew up inside of white culture. So I'm very well aware of how white women are not listened to and heard of or heard in their homes and don't take up space there. So I understand where your anger and your fear and your pushback is coming from, but this is shadow work. 
It is yes. sitting all of the multiple truths that exist in the yeah. same space and giving space to it all. And like, that's a lot of big, big work. And it's so, so much. They just forget about it. And the reason why they say that is because like inside of white culture, that's what they do. Right. You just don't talk about things. You just move on. Like, what's yeah. You just move on. You from- know, he's he's a funny uncle. Just don't be alone with them. Yeah, just or, like, you know, like- move on. I know your brother just smacked you. Like, what do you want me to do about it? Like, I grew up in white culture. I know that things are tossed. On top of that, when you start getting into ethnic whites, like Irish people, don't talk about anything. Mm. Nothing. Suck it up, Buttercup, and that's it. That's the end of that. So mm. if they're not dealing with their own shit, they're definitely not dealing with your shit. You know what I mean? Right. And I learned that lesson when doing my ancestral healing with my maternal side and like mm. doing my ancestry findings. And I recognized that, you know, my grandparents had immigrated from Ireland to America. And but in that time span, right? Like because sometimes we're also a slave to the time that we're in, right? Yeah. They could, they weren't at, able to like FaceTime at home or pick up their mobile phones and just ring up their mom and get some yeah. advice. Like a lot of these people left home and like you saw them if maybe possibly wow. once, yeah. twice. And so I realized yeah. in doing that healing, my grandmother got to this foreign country. Yeah. They're all from Ireland. So she got to this foreign land in Manhattan, you know, and I have family pictures of our family land in Ireland. It was, it was, it was lovely, like glens, all of the things, you know, thatched roofs and that. To move to the projects in Manhattan, stacked on top of each other, right? Culture Uh, shock. Yeah, culture shock like hell. To then have all of these children, right? Because again, let me reiterate, Irish Catholic. To have all of these children, to bury those children because they didn't survive. Only the last three girls, my mom and her two sisters, survived. To have a husband who wound up with multiple sclerosis and in a wheelchair. And again, not seeing the full humanity in this one woman. This is now, this is this tale of one woman in my family. One white woman in my family, right? Um and then having heard stories, you know, like they don't talk about it. Oh, you, your grandmother drank. She like she was just rough with us, you know. Like you hear these random stories, and you're like, oh my god, my grandmother was a raging alcoholic who abused her kids, and like yeah. she was also, <laughs> and she also and but or <laughs> like <laughs> I do all of those other things that I just previously mentioned. And then when I started doing that, like lining up the birth years, I'm like, she stayed pregnant, buried a child got pregnant with another one, buried that one, got pregnant with three girls back to back and a husband in a wheelchair. I drink and beat somebody too. With nobody to talk to, no mom to cry on, you know, no family support. And it's like, yeah, we don't talk about it. Maybe she didn't talk about home because she missed it too much, you know? Like my aunt didn't, you know, my aunt and my mom didn't know anything about like siblings. And as we're now like this generation, we're connecting through ancestry DNA and like, oh, you know, I did meet that person. I had no idea it was my uncle. Like all of these things and like, you know, and it's like all of the untold stories 
Mm-hmm. in whiteness is violence also mm-hmm. and it's like and just the homogenization that comes from the culture of whiteness we wind up doing to our own white families and our own white tales mm-hmm. and you have to lean into that and like leaning into that and i took in her energy and like when i went on a visit to new york for my 40th birthday i made it my business to go to her grave mm-hmm. and sit there with her and i brought mm-hmm. my kids Hmm. And, you know, and I was like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry you were mm-hmm. not heard. So yeah. sorry. And the healing from that for me yeah, was like, wow. And I hope it freed her a yeah. little, you yeah. know, and then my children thereafter. Yeah. So I find it, I love my life bridges both worlds because it gives me a broader view, right? So it kind of comes right right back to why white people need to do this work. It's really about, it's empowering. Like I can tell her tale without any longer feeling shame. Like, yes, my grandmother was an alcoholic and she definitely beat her kids. (laughs) Like, and they (laughs) definitely were messed up for that. And they definitely weren't the best parents to us because of that. And we may have not been the best to our kids if we didn't heal that. And we may still not be the best because we're still carrying that and working it through. I would lie if, you know, I said my first response in my brain was a gentle parent response. No, it is the gentle parent actively pulls back the Irish mom that wants to throw a shoe at you. <laughs> like, actively. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't, we don't throw shoes anymore, kid. Oh, oh yes, you're right. Well, you're right. Let me... <laughs> yeah. Like, those things are super duper important. And I feel like we've got way off of our lines of questioning, but I still feel like this is an important. We did, but it all ties in, right? Like my grandma said, which tells you how close I was to her, was this very hard woman. But like, again, I look at like her father left her family when she was very, very young and she and her sister were there. And so her mom was left without a man and at a time during the great depression, like there's every reason for this woman to be hard. Like she got knee surgeries, drove herself there, drove herself back, didn't tell anybody. And nobody knew until she put the peg on the wall and said, oh yeah, that just came out of my knee. Like this is a woman that just did the thing. Right. Right. And so this is very much like learning to accept that and be able to love her. She just passed last year and I already feel this shifting uh, with her just in the acknowledgement and verbalizing. Nobody else in my family will talk about it, of course. Um, You know, I try to bring up any topic that's not sports or the weather or something that's like vaguely racist, if not just incredibly problematic of some sort. Um, It's really hard to have those conversations because nobody wants to have them. Um, But to just have somebody be like, oh, I understand why you were the way you were. And I forgive you for the times which you lost your shit and did whatever to me or or my cousins, like I forgive you. And just the lightness in her spirit as she comes and goes is incredible. Absolutely. And like back to those epigenetics, (laughs) like exactly that. And when you have generations and generations and generations Mm -hmm. of, and why I focus on white women and femmes is just because the hand that rocks the cradle. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like as much as we want to get away from that, all the, you know, like gender roles. And I agree with not, you know, I myself have an egalitarian home. 
still in all the hand that rocks the cradle, right? right? Like the person who is the majority caregiver to the child is shaping that. And up until 10 minutes ago, that is the mothering person quite often times. Because yes. um, even if she passes, it still gets passed on to another woman or family. It does not often until recently get passed on to anybody else. So when you have generations and generations of white women and femmes not healing, not discussing, not empowering themselves mm -hmm. with using their own voice in their own homes mm -hmm. and passing down, like they've learned silence. Their silence in other topics is because they've learned silence in their own lives. Like yes. silence is violence to, from them to others, but silence is safety for them in their home and environment. Right, because if you're not silent about it, you get smacked about you're gonna it. You're going to catch a smack. You're going to get put out. Like? You're going to get, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to lose your financial backing. What are you going to do without this person? You know, I'm going to pull back. I'm not going to pay for you to go to school. Oh, you want to talk up about that? Well, I'm taking this from you. Well, give me the keys to the car. It's always something. So white mm -hmm. women and femmes have learned that silence is actually safety. Well, if we mm -hmm. don't talk about it, like, look, it's okay. It'll be, we'll just move on. We'll just move on. So I don't necessarily think that it's dismissive. And I think that mm. if they dealt with their ancestral trauma and where that comes from and the shadow work in recognizing that actually your silence was violence towards yourself mm -hmm. in your home is actually, if you would have gotten with other, you know, disenfranchised groups of even just women like yourself, you would have actually empowered yourselves in a bigger way. And I don't mean in the getting rights to vote. I mean, like having your basic rights in your home, your sovereignty in your home comes mm -hmm. first, right? Mm -hmm. Like systemic issues are the macro to the microcosm, right? right? Like systemic, like the system wouldn't become what it is <clears throat> if our microcosms didn't represent it. Yeah. And so the healing that white people need to do is healing within that microcosm, which then, like I said, would impact the macro, right? Because no longer would you accept a world that is oppressing people if you weren't living within oppression in your own personal spaces. And I think and that that's our bodies. Yeah. I, I mean, like from that point, it's like that's yeah. another thing that that's not like. Like when we talk about police brutality, I'm like, okay, so violence begets violence, right? Like, so we know as black people, like, I don't care what, I don't give a shit about how people want to play with the percentages and the numbers, like numbers and percentages are two completely different things. I need people to take any kind of basic math class before you even comment and try to debate me. Okay. A hundred percent of 20 and a hundred percent of 20,000 is not the fucking same moving on. Um, <laughs> Not gonna do that one at all. Not even opening the door for that conversation. So, like, but if we're talking about like dealing with it from that micro space, right? If we're gonna say that the police are violent to black bodies, absolutely they are. There's no question about that. But then I always look for the intersection. Who are police married mm -hmm. to? White yeah. women. Yeah. Yeah. If they're violent, if their first inclination is to be violent towards the weaker sex or the weaker group, who are mm -hmm. they beating at home? 
before mm-hmm. and then you can pull up those numbers yourself i've posted that like mm-hmm. in my group too i'm like let's talk about like how the these people when you look in their jackets they're also domestic violence abusers yeah. so like screaming not 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 speaking is violence to yourself right. and that ancestral healing would make a huge difference of empowerment within that community that mm-hmm. would bust the system mm-hmm. because they stay silent. They no, it's okay. You know, I was I it, you know what? My fault. I should <laughs> dinner should have been ready. Uh, my fault. My fault. Uh, you yeah. know what? I shouldn't have said that. He had a hard day at work. You know, and like and that's how silence is violence for white people. And when they heal that ancestrally, they will shift their lives in a major way. Yeah. And it comes down to like in my practice working with people, oftentimes we have to start with breath because as yeah. Especially um, non-men are so unwilling to breathe in a fashion that is audible. Um, You know, you think about the silencing of ourselves, you think about the vocalizing or the actions that we do. I mean, literally not allowing ourselves to breathe full deep breaths does violence to ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, how are we supposed to move any of these emotions if we're not breathing into them? You know, and so often that's really where I start with folks is like, you're going to be really uncomfortable and we're just going to sit and breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. We're going to equalize it. If you start getting dizzy, go ahead and and breathe normal. But when you're able to come back to this because, Oh, I'm used to receiving so much less oxygen. Okay. And the third time you come and other stuff will happen certainly, but the third time people come, it's like, okay, I come in and automatically take a big, deep breath. I know that that person is ready to go just a little bit deeper. And I never try to go past where they're ready to go. I might brush up against that line because discomfort is very different from the pain that that can cause. My friend put it really beautifully the other day. Um, It's like having two pieces of muscle without any connective tissue. So the way that I see myself is that connective tissue between the muscle so that people are able so I have to interrupt you because literally I see myself as a bridge, right? Like yeah. I keep my, I keep my finite stone next to me that I got from Sea to Star because Laura is my rock lady. And like <laughs> I literally like I am the bridge. So I love that I love you, by the way. <laughs> so here we are in love and there we go. Okay, go. Continue. <laughs> yes. But it's so true though, right? Like, because when we try to go past, so I'm somebody. And now that I understand that I'm probably autism spectrum, um, I'm able to look at that and go, oh, like me pointing out all of the minute things. And also, you know, being raised in a violent household with people who like, I had to like notice the slight changes in their breathing, their footsteps, their tone of voice or whatever. And it was like, okay, so I know when a thought crosses your mind that was mildly upsetting to you. And I don't know that that's about the situation or dinner tonight. Maybe you're cooking your least favorite meal. It doesn't matter. I can see that. And as a kid, I pointed that shit out and (laughs) it makes people very angry. I had this one uh, circumstance. I think I was 22, 23, and I was trying to take a a course with about plants. Um, It was like a communicating with plants thing. Um, Long story short, 
um, I, we figured out that this wasn't a good class for me with the teacher. She refused to let me make a tincture with bourbon instead of vodka. And I'm not going to drink a tincture that's vodka. So why am I going to make a teacher tincture that's vodka? Like this right. is a, a hundred proof bourbon. It's the same thing. That was like her, like, better, so. right? Like, that was her, yes. Like, I will drink it. I will add it to my nightcap. It's easy. Okay. Um, but she just like drew the, we're not going to work, but like just really like intense militant energy. And we were sitting there and talking and I could feel her guides and my guides very, very different, very much didn't mesh, felt it from the first class. This meeting was after that first class and I looked at her and we had agreed on part trade and I said, so I acknowledge that with the one class I, I owe you this, this session, um, I can feel that you don't want me to give this session to you or your husband. Um, so, you know, do you, do you want me to pay you over time so that I can afford to pay you for this single class? Like, how would you like to be repaid for your time and energy? Because you are still this teacher. You did give me this time. I want to honor that. Um, started yelling at me. Her guides were like, you, like, I could just feel the emotions they wanted me to feel. So I just let tears roll down my face because that appeased them. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> wasn't really my emotion attached to it it was this grief that they were shoving and I was in this place again very very young um not great at putting up boundaries yet that kind of thing um and she just got so mad yelled at me we ended the conversation I don't want anything from you leave okay so everything that I just said to you was right and you needed to yell at me you needed somebody to cry for you um, you were in so much pain. Like I left going, I forgive you. <laughs> right, right. Have a good life. I'm never <laughs> recommending anybody come to this class. <laughs> um, but that, that was the age where I was like, oh, maybe I'm just supposed to be a witness. And from that point, I actually, so I'm somebody who believes that energy is neither created nor destroyed that we don't necessarily reincarnate as humans every time, that sometimes right. our energy disperses right. and goes broad, sometimes other energy adds, whatever, whatever. I've had experiences and I used back at 22, thought it was all bullshit. Like I was yeah. as close to an atheist as I've ever been. Um, that was around the age where I had these memories of coming to this planet as a witness to watch humanity change. I love because it. um so I I came to this planet to be a witness right and and I get goosebumps every time I talk about it because from as as a person who was like there is no such thing as reincarnation to have these memories of being here as a witness I'm like oh and then later I think I was 25 having memories of me trying to make this shift happen in humanity and dying in, a, in those attempts yeah. and trying to be in both spirit and, and present as well, dying in those attempts, life after life after life. And I'm, I'm here and I'm like, I'm not going to be quiet about it. I've been lot about it my whole life. You know, it's like, it is time for this shift to happen. And I can't do it by pointing out the 10 steps further that this person could potentially be right now. That's well, not helpful. Instead, I can say, okay, if the the goal is obviously here, you know, and we're over here, 
what building blocks can we provide to create the highway to that lesson? Yes. How can I ask you questions for you to get there? Um, or how can I present things in a way that help you start to think things that you've never thought before that might make you uncomfortable? Absolutely. I love paradigm shifts. And my, um, when I do shadow work, I start them off with a simple daily journal. Mm simple daily journal, like get to know yourself because knowing thyself is the key, right? Like healthy, you break it down. It's like heal thyself. Like, you know, like the healthy self, you know, <laughs> know thyself. Like there's an inner knowing that we are all born with. Right. And then it's suppressed by societal standards and roles and all of the constructs that we've created. But there's that inner knowing that has come through generations, that's come through lifetimes. I also believe in, not in reincarnation in that kind of way, but I do believe energy just doesn't die. And we are energetic beings. It just doesn't, it cannot be destroyed. So it's like all of that, you are the stars. You have this infinite knowing within you. You have infinite, infinite knowledge and wisdom. And like wisdom comes from knowledge applied. So it's like getting to that knowing and then actually applying it to your current incarnation changes it into wisdom. And then you start making shifts and then things happen. And when you're an empowered being, you want to empower other beings, right? Because oppressed people oppress people. That's what happens. So when you have you know, white women and femmes in this world who are oppressed within their own homes. Again, mm -hmm. I'm not saying at the system at large, right. but within their own homes, which that matters um, gravely, they're gonna step out into the world violently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to be harmful, period. Like mm -hmm. immediately when you said tears started rolling down your face, I, was, I like rolled my eyes and just let out a sigh, oh, a white woman crying. Cause it's like, <laughs> It's like, oh God, it's like, it's a violent thing. It's an exhausting thing. But then again, like those are truths too. Is it violent? Yes. Is it exhausting? Yes. But is it real? And is it grief? And is it emotion? And is it suppressed? You know, like shadow work is about dealing with the suppressed self. Like I explain to people, my most simple way of explaining it is, it is giving life to the person you suppress to become palatable. Mm. Mm -hmm. that, that's it. That's what shadow work is. It is. Yeah. I'm all of those things. Like I said at the beginning, I'm terrible. Yep. I say horrible things. I, <laughs> I, I make terrible jokes. You know, I'm a 12 year old boy from the eighties. So they're <laughs> horrible. You know, I'm like Al Bundy, <laughs> like, but like I curb myself <laughs> because it's not appropriate. It was never appropriate. It was just accepted, you know? Right. Um, but it's also a part of who I am too, you know? And it's like, okay, I was that person. You know what? That person was funny to me then, you know? I recognize that that person was pretty fucking harmful. Like, <laughs> ugh, okay, you know, so yeah. maybe not. I think Let's the word just... appropriate is key there, right? Like, yeah. you know, like you said, the white woman tears, are they violent? Absolutely, fully. They are used to harm people intentionally. I don't care if it's subconscious, it's intentional. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Absolutely. And when we release those tears in safe manners that do no harm to others, we are able to then use our tears less frequently to do harm. Right? Obviously very violent. Um, 
and very necessary to release in appropriate settings. And appropriate was the key word, right? Right. Um, you know, like the anger that I've released, I'm not gonna go and beat my dog. I'm not gonna go pick up a fight with my wife. I am possibly gonna ask everybody to leave the house um, and go for a little walk. And I might primal scream or I might, <laughs> I do uh, that. Yes. I take my kids outside and we scream. I'm like, you, I'm like, obviously you have something you need to scream. And I do that in my practice too. When I work with white women directly in their healing, I'm like, take up space. Cause I feel like, like I said earlier before the recording is that white women take up space in other spaces, but not their own spaces. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's so, like barely with the audible breath. Right. I'm right. like, so and it and it, and it's like and it's back to those prisons that I said that we create. Mm -hmm. So as Black women, who we tend to be, you know, this is not like but as a generalization, we tend to be more boisterous. We tend to speak louder because we hadn't been heard for so long um, energetically. Oh, we're, oh, oh, you're gonna hear what the fuck I gotta say. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm gonna say what I gotta say. Uh, you know, like yeah, right now. Oh yeah, you're gonna hear it. Um, <laughs> I think that that's the attraction, right? Like yeah, like the you go, girl. Like it's not. It's not I'm like, please don't do that. Don't do that. Don't don't. Do that. <laughs> but I know that it is literally the cheering on from like the sidelines because in their own life they don't stand up. And I wanna take this moment and tell every white woman that is looking for ancestral healing, mm. stand up in your dinner table, flip that shit over and just yeah. fucking scream and tell them to clean it the fuck up and walk out. Yes. There. <laughs> like, that is uh, Selena and Sage's healing energy for the week. <laughs> <laughs> the energy, right? Like. And, you know, the kids are at the table. So like, let's not send them to school the next day with that anger still resonating with inside yeah, of them. Let right? them so clean like, and it, break something it, too. Right, yeah. Ice, I love. And, and working with people who have lost their children, whether it's a miscarriage or the baby was born not alive or whatever, whatever, take ice, go to somewhere concrete and break that shit. Yes. Throw it as hard as you can, you know? Um, if you are willing to clean it up or have a safe place to do it, or in Richmond here in Virginia, there's a place where you can go and demolish a car. You can throw- I love those new things. Oh, so helpful. A barrier in your brain that has been um, lessened or brought down, um, and you're suddenly aware that you are filled with this rage, like, I have 28 different coping mechanisms I can send your way, honey. Like, let's do this. <laughs> like, well, I think going when, back, when I don't want to speak on trans issues or speak out of turn. I, I feel comfortable speaking to trans issues. I just don't want to speak out of turn, so correct me. I think that what it is is that because they live their lives, like, right, going back to what you said with your brother and, your, and yourself, yeah. because they live their lives presenting, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think you are, what you feel you are, what you know you are. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I myself, I very much feel super comfortable being like, yeah, no, I'm Irish. Like, I tell people that, and I like, like, that's my inner, like, joke. Like, people will ask me, what are you? I'm like, I'm Irish. And then I just, like, watch their brains try to explode as they're looking at an obviously black woman. <laughs> well, 
black Irish people exist. So there's that. I mean, they do, but it's just so fun to bust their brain in America. But um, because you're perceived by the world how you look. Like, that's just right. what it is. So the if you spent, right. If you spent your life presenting as what we have defined as a woman. Right you lived like that then mm -hmm. then you lived within the constructs that were created for who you look like no matter mm -hmm. who you've been your entire life you have to you have lived your life underneath that social construct so like you said like i don't even think it's the tea that's the barrier breaker i think it's the acceptance that now you look like the person that can rage yes now yes. you have societal permission to be angry, right? Like your brother, you said, you know, mm -hmm. he could be, or any man for that matter, he can be upset and angry, which is a whole other topic because that's the only emotion we really allow men. Um, and I, worse for black men, it's like so many layers to the intersections, it's crazy. So like now you have this person who has always been a man, but they presented as what societal constructs of a woman, but now that barrier is lifted. Like, uh, oh, I look like who I am. And right. society has a different allowance for you. So like, now they rage. Yes. Now they're angry with permission, societal right. permission. And right. that's another construct that we just need to burst. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't, nobody should have to live underneath that much like, no. it's just so, like, one of my favorite things is, like, get free. Like, it just doesn't have to be this difficult. Like, just refuse to conform to societal standards. Like, do the shadow work. Heal yeah. that and refuse. And eventually, if enough of us do that, these societal constructs will become the fringe idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we'll push them to, like, break because there's no other choice because we're refusing i'm not i'm not adhering to that i'm not i'm not i'm gonna right. bust this you know like i said like when i'm like i'm looking at you you're looking at me i'm obviously by america's standards a black woman and i love just i'm irish <laughs> you could see like the math equation <laughs> like <laughs> how <laughs> And it's like, I'm not going, to, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not even going to explain it. Just because. <laughs> Delightful. Yeah. I'm just, I don't even want to, because like, work that out for yourself. Like, mm -hmm. figure it out for yourself. You know, it, it's, it's wild how free we can actually be when we step into that ancestral healing and really the true acceptance of yourself. Like that's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what it is, is that mm -hmm. when you really just get into a place and space where I love me, all of me, Yeah, I love every single part, every faction, every ancestor, every single one, you know, like, uh, like, and I can hold anger for them at the same time, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But like radical self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. leads to some radical ass freedom mm -hmm. and that takes radical ancestral work mm -hmm. and i'm so excited that you're doing this work and trying to help other people do this work it's it's like pulling teeth <laughs> oh, uh, yes it is like pulling teeth it's because it's never been taught right because the system of whiteness 
teaches like divine providence. Like you are at the upper echelon and it's like, no, no one is the upper echelon. That's the thing, right? Like we are all actually energetic beings having a very human experience and none is better than the other. Oh, can I get off this ride? <laughs> yeah, I'm so exhausted, Saber. So I'm like, I'm going to take the 30 people that actually listen to me. <laughs> I'm like, I want to get on uh, Elon Musk's to the moon. <laughs> I, I want to get out of here or something. Something's got to give because it's exhausting. It is. Yeah. It is so exhausting. So like, yeah, because I feel like we can go on and on forever. If you could tell your 18 year old self be something, what would that be? Because somebody's 18 is going to be listening. Some young white person is going to be listening to this. And what would you tell them? I wish I could remember what I wrote down, honestly. Oh, I could read it to you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Your answer says, it's okay to fail. In fact, strive to fail so that you'll be faster to try things that intimidate you. So now you could expound on that. I'm, I'm smart sometimes. <laughs> so I think a lot of um, the way that we uphold this structure within the white hegemony is um, by not allowing failure. You can look at that from the way our school system is set up, which is not set up to teach us anything. It's certainly not set, us, set up to, to prepare us for the world, right? Um, and in reality, the people that make these amazing pieces of art that get really far in life that are what we call successful have failed hundreds if not thousands of times at the thing that they're trying to do and so you know this this whole setup from from you know as soon as a baby is born and onward we're basically told if you're not going to do it perfectly don't do it at all yeah and it took me a long time to get away from that and now I'm like, yes, this is an opportunity for me to fail so that I can get better at it. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree so much. That holds us back, the fear of failing. And I'm a natural, I'm an entrepreneur naturally. So mm -hmm. like I will have tried things a million different ways, you know, like, and um, I'm a little spastic sometimes to, from the outside, right? Like, well, I want to do that. But it's like, well, that way didn't work. Like, okay. That gives me an opportunity to find a new way to do it because that way wasn't working. And I have an end goal, like you said, going back to like, you have to start with people where they are. And sometimes they're ready to dive right into that deep ancestral work. Like, no, uh-uh, sit me in a circle. Let me talk to these ancestors, call them in. I got some shit to say. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just, you need to learn how to breathe because you hold your breath and you've been holding your breath for 47 years. Yes. And that's a problem. So like, that is an absolutely gem of an advice. I, I do that with my kids. I'm like, no, fail. Fuck up. You're supposed to. You're not living life if you didn't fuck up enough. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I was doing at 18 that I don't think a lot of 18 year olds do is I was already actively changing the inner voice in my head as well. And I think that goes along with failing. Um, my, I am mean and I am meanest to myself. And I was most heavily suicidal as a teenager. Um, and I came out of that by the exhaustive work of changing every single thought. So it went from, I don't fucking want to be here to like, I'd rather be over there. That's still just as true, but it's a, it's a positive way to put right. it. Right. 
you know, and eventually it was like, you know, like over there would be nice, but this is okay to like, actually I'm kind of enjoying myself over here. And it took a long time. And honestly, in my mid thirties now, I am working on getting that back because the, the late end of my twenties, I was in an abusive relationship, all sorts of blah, blah, blah. Nobody really gives a fuck. But the reality of the matter is my brain went back into that negative thinking. And not only is it better for my mental health, which allows me to do deeper, more impactful work within myself, as well as the community, but it also allows me again to do that healing because it is that violent voice voice that I was gifted in life. Um, I know my, my father has this voice in his head. He and I have talked about it, right? And it's like, okay, so you pass this voice down to me in such a palpable way. And, and the more that I can unwind it, give it love, be like, it's not that that thing isn't true, but it's that I'm not looking at it from a perspective that's going to help me or heal. When I look at um, people, uh, you know, in, in activist circles, there are some circles that are very, very violent. And I think that there is a place for all of the things in, in this reach for liberation. Um, and I watch people, and I was one of those people for years, um, and still go into it for sure, just to keep myself accountable. Um, but it doesn't draw people in in the same way. And that's scary because you get into like tone policing and all that jazz. I'm not talking about tone policing. No, I'm not <sighs> talking about, you know, I'm talking about if I can not project my anger from my fight with my wife at breakfast onto this conversation about white supremacy, then this person might be able to hear the words that I have to say better. Right. It's not that right. people aren't allowed to feel like, yes, feel your anger. People should absolutely be furious about the stuff that's happening in the world that has happened and that will continue happening. Like, yes, feel that and express it to people, you know, and, and that is so valid and so right. And for me, I'm working on getting to a place where I am less spewing that anger when I'm trying to help people understand things. If I'm showing up and I'm just like, my friend was just harassed or X, Y, and Z, I'm allowed to be angry. I'm just expressing myself, okay. But if I'm trying to talk to say my brother-in-law about the fact that like rape culture exists and like it is a important safety mechanism for me to assume that any man is gonna be a rapist um, be before I get to know them and often even after, um, it's not that I am demonizing these cis men. It's that I am taking my experiences being cautious and wary, you know, but if I use those words rather than, you know, this happened to me and that happened, like he can't hear that. He's already no. defensive, Absolutely. right? Nobody's Nobody showing up to the conversation with him not believing or not even wanting to hear because again, it goes right back to shame and guilt, right? It's like why race conversations are so difficult or right. phobia conversations are so difficult. It's because again, not dealing with the shadow self, you know, myself, even when I started having conversations about like trans issues or I'm like, but that doesn't make any sense. And then I had to realize, wait a minute, nobody owes you a conversation about their humanity. Right. Like, at all so like you don't get to i don't need to understand i don't care why somebody's transitioning cool what's your new name got it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what is your story? 
righteous, you know, but that took me doing the shadow work. Like, why am I so resistant to this? Why does this person need to be what I'm perceiving them to be? So like that language does in all that communication is important because no, you can't just turn around and say, well, men are rapists. Like what, what? No, that's no, uh, no, not my son. <laughs> like not my husband. I, I'm like, I'm resistant immediately. I, immediately. Right. I don't want to hear what you have to say because you're talking about my husband and my son. So right. like, no, but being mindful, you know, of the words. I love how when you said, <clears throat> in regard to the negative voice, you said, I was gifted. Mm. And that is powerful, right? Because when you feel like you're a victim of what your father passed along, mm -hmm. it continues to perpetuate that. But when you say it's a gift, it becomes something like my brain creates pictures of words, right? Mm. So like when you said that, it's like, it, it goes right to the unpacking, right? Mm. Like the opening, mm -hmm. the unpacking, taking all of the shit out of it. Like, yeah. yeah, he was raised by that hard ass woman who got knee surgery while he was at school. <laughs> like- And had a hard ass daddy in the Navy, like, yes. Right, and he was in a society where he was already poor. So like, and then he was a man. So he's a man who's poor, who's supposed to provide for people like, and protect people. And then he's a military person. So he's supposed to be willing to die for people. Yeah, he had no time to give you soft words at all because it was his survival mechanism throughout all of his lived mm -hmm. truths and there has to be nuance in mm -hmm. healing there mm -hmm. just has to be mm -hmm. has to be are there some staunch lines yes like i said sure. there's a staunch line and nobody owes you a conversation in your humanity i'm not about to beg you for my black life to matter because i'm a human i'm not i'm not doing that you know i don't expect you as a trans person to well i should have the right no yeah you don't need to explain that you absolutely i agree like that we come to the table with that you have the right to do whatever so like, mm -hmm. those are really important language distinctions yeah. and conversation holders. You have to be willing to temper that. I like, you know, like, cause it's funny, like the tone police, like watch how you say that. No, I'm not gonna watch how the fuck I right. say anything, but right. I will temper the conversation so that it can be received better. Cause it's gonna make you uncomfortable. And right, anyone, no matter what. <laughs> All healing is gonna make you uncomfortable. And I'm here for uncomfortable conversations. And I often lead conversations, like I said, like in my group, like I'm gonna say something that's gonna be, you know, it's probably gonna be homophobic. It's probably gonna be misogynistic. Or it's gonna be these things that we've labeled because I'm still trying to understand and grasp something. So mm -hmm. correct me, but don't attack me. Right. That's an important thing to be like, hey, you know, you know, like I misgendered you earlier and was like, I'll edit that out. Like, but like, imagine if you would have just jumped on me, you know, it's they that like, oh, okay, look, you have every right to be angry about that. And, but I'm sorry, you know, we are still living in a paradigm where we perceive things with our eyes. I apologize right. for that. And I work on that actively. And like, we have to take accountability of the mm -hmm. fact that we will do this and you will fail, right? It goes right back to the, it's okay to fail. Yes. Like, I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna say some things that are, ooh, <laughs> like, but, 
let me bring that back to my awareness. Let yeah. me, you know, own that and say, hey, I apologize for that, you know, space and that because that's violent to you. And I, I'm sorry for that. That's not okay. But you got to be, it goes right back to what you said. You got to be scared. You got to be okay to fail. Right, right. And I think as somebody who has been gently pushed my entire childhood towards stepping up and being more emotionally aware, emotionally mature, and then finding words for it through therapy and finding coping mechanisms through the variety of modalities. And um, I, I do feel like I am somebody who is particularly skilled to help people get to that place, right? But it's not a skill that like it's it's not just me right it's a skill that anybody can get to but it takes some people more time my wife is so emotionally mature had no language for it in the years we've been together she has gained that language so now she also has the language for it but she caught it so much faster than me because she already understood it in her heart whereas I have spent my life a majority of the time separated and numb from my emotions and right. just totally disassociated to survive and to be in a safe place now where I'm like, okay, like I'm going to go beat up the shower curtain for a little while. <laughs> right. Yes, 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 definitely. Yeah. That's a safe, that's a great place to be in because see, like I was always, I was a breaker. Like I'll break mm. all of this shit in here. I, mm. I, I don't care. Um, mm. So I love that they now have <laughs> societally accepted places to do that. Um, <laughs> I was definitely the person like, I'm gonna throw out all your shit. <laughs> like, uh, oh, we're not doing dishes? <laughs> Pass, no, breaking all of them and they're going in the trash. And like, and as good as that felt for me, you know, like my husband <laughs> first witnessed it and he's like, what the hell? Is what is wrong with you? <laughs> boundaries. You know? I have boundaries. These are my boundaries. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, I thought we were, I, nobody wanted to do the dishes. So let's go on and get rid of those. Okay. Cause I'm not, um, but it was like toxic as fuck. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> as healthy as it feels to me or like my screaming, I was like such a huge screamer in my first marriage and with my first round of parenting and it felt good to me. Like, mm -hmm. but you don't realize the trauma you're putting everybody else through, right? You know, my kid is like, wow, this person, this is huge and scary. You know, my husband's like, this person is a psychopath. Um, you know, everybody's feeling violent, but me, I'm feeling great because now I did it. Um, <laughs> I'm good. I let it out. Y'all let, let it out. out I let it out. So it goes right back to those appropriate and healthy ways, right? right? And how those... Yeah white tears are not appropriate in a setting <laughs> like when you know you're faced with uh, an oppressed and more marginalized person or group than you are like you are not safe now you just took and i hear you and i understand your grief madam but you need to deal with that shit with your therapist and not here with me yes. where i'm going to automatically look like the aggressor now you're dangerous you know mm -hmm. finding those healthy outlets and doing this work in those safe spaces, you know what I'm saying? Right. And giving it language, right? right? Like, yeah, no, I'm gonna go scream now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go That's how. That so beautifully ties it into the, just being violent by existing. It's, that's a concept that I have been obsessing over for the last probably three or four years because I am somebody who has frequently gone into spaces that were 
spaces that were considered for women born women. So spaces that have this uh, stench of transphobia on the, and, and, and having trans women being like, I deserve to be here too. And before I realized I was trans, I was like, that, that's true. And there's a lot of people here with um, history of penises being violent against them. And I'm not saying all trans women have penises at this point, but that, you know, to have a space. So one of the festivals I used to go to was this women were women thing. And they had a space in it that was the women of color tent. So there was space where, unless you were invited in, it was women of color period, you know? And so in my mind, like is woman, woman, quote, woman born woman space, um, possibly necessary for some people to heal? Yes. And then we have to be willing to open the space up to, you know, trans women, non-binary individuals. I just helped there that that particular thing has ended. They're trying to make it more open and they've decided that everybody's invited except for non-binary AMABs. And it's like, this isn't the like revolutionary meetup that you're trying to have. On the opposite end, I was a midwifery student for almost five years, um, just over four. And um, there were actively trans men that were fighting language that was inclusive of themselves. I decided to be a man, I don't deserve to, you know, and then of course that feeds into the transphobia of so many of the midwives, you know, the midwifery is so racist, it's so transphobic, so homophobic, and it's just like, this is why there aren't midwives of color, this is why there aren't more trans midwives, whatever, and I am not a midwife, like I just did that portion, Um, but you know, going from these opposite ends where one group is like, I should be included. And the other group is like, I shouldn't be included. It's this place. And then being a white person who often finds myself at least pre COVID in spaces of where I uh, have, I'm the only native English speaker or at open mics where I'm one of the few white faces or at gatherings where again, I'm one of the few white people that has been invited. It becomes very clear when I am perceived immediate, because I'm a threat no matter what, just in existing because of my whiteness in our white society. Like it doesn't matter if everybody else is happy with me being there, I have to acknowledge that. And um, to when it becomes a perceptible thing by other people, and I'm obviously making people uncomfortable, I need to be willing to step out of that space. I need to be willing to leave the gathering or, you know, if somebody requested that I come and say a poem, um, I'm not going to say anything beforehand and I'm not going to say anything after and I'm just going to cheer for the the people, the, the other people performing or whatever. Um, and as soon as it's over, I will leave because people are obviously uncomfortable that I'm here, um, you know. I have a question for that. Yeah. So I think that that's one that's very self-aware and thank you for doing that work and teaching other um, white people to do that work too. But so now, how does that look like going back to what we were saying in regard to in other, in non-white spaces, white women can take up too much space, which is what Mm -hmm. you're discussing, right? Like you go into an open mic, it's non-white people there. And as soon as you walk in, it's clear, it's obvious because we are aware, even if us 15 invited you, we know that if we get too loud and rowdy and the police come, they're coming to talk to you. 
<laughs> like, right. Right. and are you okay? You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. you're, you're a threat, period. Yeah. So in, even if you are invited, but so where do you find the balance? Because I think that that's a hard space, right? Like, so in the non-white space, white women take up too much space, mm-hmm. but in their own homes and white spaces, they don't take up enough space. So yeah. guide me, Yoda. I don't know that I'm the right person to ask for that. Like I learned that people find loud laughter threatening because I'm a loud laugher. Um, I, you know, have over the years trained myself to not laugh as loudly and I'm actually starting to just let it come again because my cackle is wonderful. Um, I love it. And it's such a stereotype. <laughs> It's such a stereotype of, say, Black women that, you know, loud laughter, loud voices. I am a loud person. Always have been, always will be. Like, now I could be like, it's partly the autism. Um, <laughs> but in my, in my family, men were allowed to cackle and genuinely belly laugh. And I was always hanging out with the men. My dad would play poker. The first time I smoked a cigar was at, at 11 years old, sitting around with my dad and his brothers playing poker. Somebody had to hold it, you know? It. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not saying don't, you know, I'm not saying do that, but you know that. You know, oh, I was so. definitely endorsing having fun with your kids. Maybe not the cigar. <laughs> yes, have but, fun, you know. but maybe don't hand them the cigar to smoke. Maybe. <laughs> At, at your own discretion. Yeah. <laughs> we do not endorse smoking for children. Okay, go. <laughs> I mean, legally, you know, privately, but we're being recorded anyway. So <laughs> there's so much again nuance, nuance to all the things. Right. That being said, I was allowed to embody that space. I was the only female invited to a certain special football game until they started inviting my cousins. Um, And so, you know, when you're the only socialized female in the group, um, there's 30 men or 15 men, they're gonna, you know, make the comments, whatever, 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 because they're comfortable, you know, and so I learned to take up space. Um, I have, though, struggled with being, so I started my business at 19. And so I didn't dye my hair until I was 27. I've dyed my hair except for that chunk since I was in middle school. Um, you know, like I have, I dressed preppier. I like everywhere I went and now I'm just like, fuck that. Um, so how it, it is a fine line, right? Because like, yes, I laugh loudly. Okay. So like being a part of clubhouse, we've had this discussion online, like uh, being a part of clubhouse, people inviting me to speak. I'm the only white person in the group laughing with people fine they love to hear the laugh okay as soon as I say something even if it's an agreement and it's just a real simple like for real right and there's just this like energy and it's like oh oh, I probably shouldn't have said anything (laughs) yeah and so it's like we need to learn to take up space in our homes We need to learn to take up space in ourselves and in that taking up of space, you know, it can be violent even in our own homes when it's new to us, right? Like, so I don't think I'm the best person to really delve into the like complexities of that nuance because my abusive ex was terrified of my big laughter when we were in public they she refused to go to public with me um 
and the handful of times we went to one of my favorite spots that was like a place that I felt very safe I went there to nap like in a little nook like and so I let myself laugh there and she went in on me just like you're disturbing other people like all the bullshit that anybody that laughs loud gets mm-hmm. and so just the awareness that like oh and also like my energy I'm the type of person that like I could be in a crowded room in the back corner with no light on me wearing clothes that match the wallpaper and I'm gonna offend somebody yeah even mm-hmm. if it's all white people like just existing my energy is that shifting it's it's that in between it's that because I am most comfortable in discomfort so that's the vibration that I find right that I yeah I like that yeah I'm chaotic I find I find comfort yeah (laughs) and the destruction so people Mm. often get you know like you know how you were talking about like the violence so like I'm like the burn all this shit (laughs) <laughs> and like let's start again yeah. and like people are like what is wrong <laughs> you know but I'm comfortable in discomfort myself like I'm okay like you have to sometimes you just have to you know you can't keep building a shitty house you you know on a terrible foundation like because it's going to always be a shitty house you need to just like blow it all up maybe even buy some new land and start again I don't know what to tell you but like that's just you know yes it's kind of what it so, is oh yeah having that awareness of other people's energy is helpful and just taking up the space that is offered to me in situations that's that's the best way that I know and if nobody is like this is the amount of space you can take up in either an energetic or obviously verbal way I tend to just be you know and and you know it's one thing you know for so for example sitting around Everybody's speaking Spanish around me. I understand more than I can speak, Um, but um, have had so many situations where like, it's obvious what people are talking about or sitting around people are speaking to Serbo Croatian or uh, Swahili or whatever. I've been in these situations where it's like, oh, y'all are talking about going to the strip club. Like that is funny. And I laugh with everybody and the whole group turns and they're like, how do you know what I just because it's the energy it's the it's the body language it's you know and so it's like because I'm aware of all these different aspects I'm like okay I'm somebody my stimming is dancing I have music in my head at all times and I will just dance up and down the aisles of the everything like I'm sitting here just like twiddling my fingers as we talk trying to be as still as possible right Right. so I often have things in my pockets so that I can twiddle in my pockets if my dancing is too big for a crowd or like whatever um, those are some great tips right there that even something that simple because like sometimes yeah. we don't even bring into the conversation neurodivergence right yeah. like that again it's back to these like releasing the dichotomies of everything it's like right. you know you're not taking in the nuance is in healing like there's zero way to heal without dealing with nuance so it's like yeah maybe your energy is super big maybe you're dancing in the middle of the floor not because you're white and want to be seen maybe you're just feeling this music and like 
the you know and this is the the best way that it can move through your body but then part of that ancestral healing and is learning like okay well maybe in this space i don't need because we know that the attention is going to go to me and that's not what this moment is about so maybe i just like kind of like flail in the corner a little bit you know still jam you know but like not to do so in such a way like recognizing everybody's humanity in the space and that pretty much for me that makes sense you know because like i do that with um i have huge energy huge energy and um i've worked with other healers that they're at like simultaneously that their energy or we're in the same space that their energy is not as big um on the scene i'm not talking i'm not saying like oh my energy is bigger and better but like they don't project their energy the way I do. Like I'm all in, I'm here. You see me moving. I talk with my hands, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, facial expressions. I shift accents and voices and sounds. I am like that, you know, I embody it all. And, yeah. But their energy is more, you know, more channeled, more direct, more paced, let's say. Mm-hmm. And in those spaces, I shut up. Mm. I, I just shut up. I'm like, and it's okay. And not because I'm intimidated because I know that this is one, their space that they're holding mm-hmm. and they need to set that tone. And I know that if I jump in, in some type of way, I will disrupt the fuck out of that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. now they're going to be, now they're going to tune into my energy. Like I said, not lesser or greater, just a different frequency, like a radio, you know, like, oh, 92.3 was on. I like that. But Des is jamming on 97.9. So let me get to that. And then that becomes disruptive, you know, and I think about that, like going back in my life as a child, like, right, I was always disruptive. I was Mm -hmm. the one who disrupted the class. And I'm like, so you can't talk? Like, (laughs) What world are we in? Like, I laughed. I'm so sorry that, like, you, that couldn't, was get, funny. <laughs> you couldn't get it back together, almighty teacher. Like, what kind of leader are you? Um, so, yeah, no, I think that actually you answered that perfectly. It's just about energy, really. Yeah. And just like, what is this space? And being aware. But then again, circling back, that takes that self-healing Right. self-awareness and if you're not taking up space in your own life in your mm-hmm. own healing you can't be astute enough in your awareness when you're elsewhere so you're just fucking throwing energy everywhere and you can't even control yourself mm-hmm. um i often compare white women and femmes and i hate it but like to children like but like if not my five-year-old would kick the door open do a tuck and roll, shoot me in the face with a Nerf gun, and then say, look at my dinosaur. (laughs) With no awareness (laughs) to the fact that I have a whole podcast set up, (laughs) the laptop is in front of me, I am having a discussion. (laughs) And if I tell him something, he's going to cry or get upset. And I find that energy is very Mm -hmm. much the same in a general way obviously not every but in a general way to whiteness in feminine whiteness is the same similar energy like you are not astute enough right in yourself to read the room right 
And even in the people who uh, say energy is like the business they do, maybe they do like Reiki, which we can go to the vote appropriation later, or like yeah. our quote light workers, which like gag me with a spoon, or yeah. you know, <laughs> or like any of the things where they've learned to direct some of their energy. Sometimes the the again the nuance of how you direct your energy. Have you pulled yourself inwards first? Um, I met this man in New Mexico that his was probably the biggest spirit that I've ever experienced and been able to palpably feel the edges of his spirit. Wow. But he didn't invade people around him with his spirit. It just was. And it kind of went around mine. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it, it didn't immerse itself into mine. It didn't try to integrate. It didn't try, like whatever, we're across the house from each other and I can feel you in the air around me but you're not trying to force yourself into me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a big piece that there are very few people that I work with that are in that place where they can, like, they're just learning how to like, okay, let's name the emotions. That's a start. Right. Now you can name that you feel this way. Okay, like, I don't love NBC for a lot of reasons, nonviolent communication, but I do love their list of feelings and needs. Um, because it, it differentiates, right? And so just being able to say on the spectrum of happy, I'm feeling this, right? Um, you know, right. that in itself helps us learn how to direct the energy. Well, I'm feeling grumpy. So I'm going to, you know, separate myself from my family and I'm going to shake this shit off. And sometimes it means literally I'm going to go outside or in the shower and shake it. Absolutely. And shake it, Absolutely. You know, and or like get a candle. <clears throat> You know, I always have candle in every room. Um, yeah, my wife and I will have a candle in between us when we play a game. We love card games. We love board games. We love whatever, poker, it doesn't matter. And we'll put a candle in between us because we're gonna shit talk. We're gonna, you know, whatever. Yes. And we don't want the other person to like receive those emotions in a way that's not fun and playful. And so if I'm feeling a little sore losery, you know, <laughs> Then I'm definitely going to, you know, have that candle there and be like, ooh, it's going into the candle. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's, it's absorbing that energy, which is why I keep mine lit when I have like these kind of conversations and stuff, just so it kind of, it's energetically holding the space of guiding the conversation, guiding the light. Um, like, I, you know, like I'm bringing it back to like the child energy, like, and I want to clarify for that because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm calling them children is what I'm saying is is that because of the lack of generational healing and ancestral work is that the truth of the matter is, is like white women, people, persons, non-persons as a group really are neophytes in the healing game, right? Mm -hmm. Like they just are like, that's just, again, a truth. We have been infantilized for hundreds and hundreds of years and that is how we've made ourselves safe is by being seen as this, you know, baby thing. I think it's a perfectly reasonable metaphor, right? Like, thank you. Are we actually babies? No, we should have more responsibility. I also think that it harkens back to parenting. <clears throat> um, I'm a millennial. My parents are boomers. They had me late in life. And I can't say that either of my parents were taught how to parent because their parents weren't taught how to parent. Oh yeah, they were just winging it, honey. I was raised by boomers who were raised by people out of the depression. 
who right. were then immigrants. Right. They were winging it. And all you hoped is that your kid survived. Like that was it. That was your greatest wish was your kid didn't die. Yes. That was it. Yes. If they, if they didn't, if they didn't die in the first five years and if they didn't start to death afterward, golden. Yeah. Um, we know, did it. Isaiah Just didn't kiss. deliver his sister <laughs> with the tractor at eight years old. Great. Yeah. Um, you know, they were sending kids happening. off on carts, like off on yeah. the train. Your eight-year-old would just go. Like, I have a kid that I swear to God is my and my eldest used to joke. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know that, Aaron, this is my eight, almost nine-year-old. She's like, you know, she's like the kid you'd send away on a cart <laughs> like, mm -hmm. on the train mm -hmm. and just like, well, she's off to New York now. <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, and I laugh at that because this summer she actually left my cousin was here visiting and they drove back to New York and Erin was like um I want to go and me and my husband decided to like let her go on a whim and then I just flew her back on a whim she there it was not the plan was that they would drive back down but then life happens and they couldn't and I just put her on a plane and I was like Erin is my box cart kid <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she makes it. I don't know what to say. <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? I got two other kids at home. I can't get there to get her. Put her on a plane. <laughs> yeah. So like I could honestly look back and like, you know, because of generational healing and ancestral things, like I can totally get it. Like they're probably like, yeah, like, well, they need to move on to the next town. You know, there's better opportunities there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the reparentification, like the necessity of learning to parent ourselves is so real. And, you know, my, my parents did the best they did. Just they could just like every other person's parents. Right. Like my mom worked sometimes two or three jobs because my dad wasn't great at keeping a job. Um, she kept a roof over her head. Um, dad did his thing you know unfortunately I I am I'm not I'm not talking to my dad and it's you know I basically have my brother convinced for some reason that I like hate them but I don't it's sad I see their pain I feel their anguish um and like I am not going to continue trying to convince this person that um Muslims are people or etc go down the list I'm not going to spend time with somebody who makes me want to unalive myself. Every time I see them, I walk away feeling suicidal. You know, I, and by choosing to step away from that, I've been able to forgive both of them. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. You it's know, a beautiful thing. Like I could love you from a distance. I tell people mm -hmm. and clients often like love and forgiveness do not require connection. I can totally, like you said, because I got myself out of the toxic situation yeah. and doing this shadow work, doing this healing, healing through the, I don't hate you. I just love myself enough to not subject right. myself to it. Right. And it's that willingness to end the pattern. And if I can't scramble the pattern when I'm around you, then I'm going to work on ending the pattern separate from you. So my grandma said, my dad's mom, like I mentioned earlier, um, I finally, when she would say something out of the box and just hateful uh, for no reason, just like we were doing fine, fine, fine. And then she spouts some hateful nonsense. I just started laughing. 
like it was a joke. Right. Because it has to be. (laughs) Right. Because like, it is a joke to me. Like you, you, you think that you're telling me something about myself and you're really not. (laughs) Right. And that is the power of knowing yourself. That is the power of radical self-acceptance. That's the power of shadow work and ancestral healing is that you remove that need, that, that need of external validation, right? And you just say, you know what? You are a joke. And what you have to say is a joke. And you know what? Okay, grandma, I'm going to leave now and I'll come back next week. Right? Yeah. Like, cause like, I mean, I have people like that in my life. Like, and I know everybody's huge on, um, you know, the cancel culture. And there are some people that you just totally cancel, like, and you should, like, right. that's a smart thing. But there are just some people that I chalk it up and I'm just like, uh, they're gonna die soon. Um, I'm like, and I, and that, that's like all I can do and deal with is like, you know, like that's just that's the reality. They're gonna die right. soon. I'm gonna enjoy the moments that I can enjoy with them, and I'm going to continue to do the work on making a better world for the future. I'm not working my way backwards. I'm working my way ahead, and I will do that energetic work outside of their presence if necessary. And when their slightly younger neighbors are interested on say New Year's Eve, this, this situation happened, um, actually the same New Year's that I got engaged. Um, so my dad's family has learned to n- not be racist around me. Mm. Um, and one of his neighbors was over for dinner and we, she asked a question and my dad looked around at the table and said, here we go. And everybody got up and she and I had the table for two hours. Nice. And by the end of it, using false equivalencies, unfortunately, this woman who was hardcore denying that racism existed was like, oh, racism exists. Do I think she changed any of her patterns, habits, anything of that nature? No, but I planted a seed. I was about to say, but the seed is planted. So even if it just makes them question differently, it's a paradigm shift. And it's not something that's going to be, it's so deep seated in the fabric of who we are as a country. Like it's the foundation of the country. It Mm -hmm. is really hard, right? Like to decolonize like everything. Like that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's it's not just like, you know, when I first started doing like anti-racist work myself and like unpacking my own racism, I was like, you know, you start with small things, right? Okay, well, I will, I guess I won't say that anymore. You know, or even like, you know, like with the like, you know, like uh, homophobia. Oh, oh, we can't say that anymore. My daughter's like, you never should have said that. You never. Yeah. The fact that you said that and thought it was okay is probably the problem. Like, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, fair, fair assumption. Fair, 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 fair. You know, um, but like, I just started trying to attack it in these small ways. Okay, well, I won't say that anymore. Okay, well, oh, oh, so we don't do that anymore. And it's like, no, it, it's so much bigger than that. It's like decolonize everything. All the things. things. Question everything. How, where did it get its start? What's, what, 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 everything needs to be, you need to come at it ready. Like, you know, people like, oh, well, teach me. I want to learn. I'm like, it's not about learning. It's unlearning. The learning is, that's is what part we did. of why yeah. I say I'm racist, right? Because like 
conversations with like with that woman where if I can come to it from I'm racist here are the ways in which I have started unlearning it right right suddenly I become more human to them and I'm not calling them racist in that I'm saying I'm racist so these are the things I've learned or my new favorite one is oh I think that uh that you you meant to say something else because if somebody that wasn't me heard you they might think that you're racist you know or we don't do that here yeah like just that simple too but you see it goes right back to that childlike energy and like that is the work that it takes right like that's like you know like my 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 son is very much involved with his genitals and i'm like we don't do that in the park but <laughs> you know or like we don't talk to people about them like it's like, <laughs> like we don't ask people what they have you know like, yeah. like well he's 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 older now he's like but like three and four yeah. He wanted to know what everybody was rocking in their pants and if maybe they wanted to see his too. I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. So this is very real with these penis bodied people. Okie dokie. <laughs> the obsession starts young. Um, and so you have to, <laughs> yeah. They have to unlearn all of that. And like, that is, that's, that's what needs to be done. It is that unlearning. It is getting right back to recognizing that within the system of whiteness white people and it's hard because for so long white people have felt like the divine providence and the authority on everything so to have to accept you are not the authority in this space right you are but a neophyte in healing Yes. You are just beginning the journey. Many cultures have been doing the cultures that you colonized were doing this before you knew that soap was necessary for cleansing. Washing your hands before surgery, people have been doing this. So in this thing, you must accept that you are not the authority mm-hmm. on healing. You mm-hmm. are not the authority on anyone else's practices. Mm-hmm. You cannot be because you have not even created your own healing practice. Right. You don't get to go into another space and take up that space violently right. by telling others how to practice theirs right. or by co-opting it and now making it something yours. Like you said, gag me with the spoon with the light worker, or, you know, I took a weekend Reiki class and like, now it's on, I'm going to heal you. And it's like, are you? Because right. for generations, <laughs> like they were Reiki masters, right? Coded into their DNA, and it's so interesting. As somebody, so again, as I mentioned in the beginning, like I was offered an opportunity to dip my toes in um, Hawaiian culture, and or or really, it's it's that's that's wrong in Kanakamali culture, um, and um, learning just you know some some language like blah 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 um and having the teachers tell me um that okay you've been doing this for eight years now you need to offer this you, you need to literally offer lomi lomi 
well, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. I, I can't. Yeah. I won't because no. I'm a not trying to colonize it. I'm a, a white person um, who did for many years because I was told to do this. And it's so socially pushed when I explain to people why I stopped offering specifically Lomi Lomi and what is Lomi Lomi, if not alchemy, it's this combination, but it's from the Hawaiian healing perspective. And, and am I called to occasionally you know, say a specific prayer, was I given permission to say very specific olis, which are chants that aren't danced to, um, you know, yes, I was given permission to say these very specific things in public or not in public, these other things I am not allowed to share with people, okay, and from this long time, what do I call myself, because you've seen my website, I offer so many things and it yeah. seems like they're not connected but they really all are connected um and and you know traditional or temple lomi um you know it could look like craniosacral or chiropractics or massage or myofascial or talk story you know like you might need to uh find accountability and balance within yourself in situations, even when you weren't the one that did major harm, you may still need to forgive yourself for putting yourself in that situation or not setting boundaries, or maybe you need to find words to explain your bulimia to your family or whatever. I'm not gonna call it Ho'oponopono. I'm not gonna call it whatever, even though everybody is saying, yes, this is, this is, this is. No, I'm an alchemist because it covers right. all of right. these things and is like very much part of the like mix of cultures that I, as a, a European mutt am. Right. Um, I've I love them. that. Sometimes it is just as simple as a language shift, which is why the pushback on certain things, like, um, so I said like with hoodoo, it is a practice that is for the descendants of slaves. Like it's just, that's what it is. Like, and people will argue with you, like it's not a closed practice because there's not initiation. First of all, that is a colonized view that you believe that there's some type of an authority that has to initiate you into every single practice. Are there practices that do that? Absolutely, because they've chosen to do that and then honor that. But not every single practice needs an initiation. And then like for me, because I like to make things simple, I'm like, well, slavery is the initiation, babe. So if you don't come from slaves, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Like, you know what? I'll work with you where you're at. Like you said, you know know what? Great. It needs initiation. Slavery is the initiation. Boom, you know, and so like it comes like with because then we have to remember like being in America, things homogenize and stuff. So like, who do is like that amalgamation of all of the things that was going on with Black America, right? Like so like still keeping their practices from their native lands and tribes and then like trying to disguise it underneath the guise of Christianity and then Mm -hmm. their own languages and things. So like when you go, like, obviously things are going to cross over. Like when you said earlier with mirrors, you know, I, that works in hoodoo too. It also works Mm -hmm. in Santeria. It also works in folk Mm -hmm. magic. It also works like there's going to be some things that are shared, but it's language that's important. Like you said, like you may do Lomi Lomi, but does it need to be called Lomi Lomi by somebody presenting to the world like you in America? 
No. Maybe if you lived in, and I don't know how to say Hawaii properly in its proper native, but maybe if you lived in Hawaii amongst the people in the village and you offered it there in the presence of the people, absolutely. Because then we know that you receive this gift from the native people of the land and they offered you to give that gift. That's different than you in West Virginia. Yeah. Doing Lomi Lomi, um, you know, or like, a, with honey jars, those things are like specific with who. Mm. Now there's other things like, you know, like I'm like, you can call it a sweet jar. Like mm. this, some things are so simple to just respect somebody something. Yeah. It doesn't take away what you're doing with it. It's just this specifically right. was created for this with that language. Like right. that language means something. Shift your language just a little, you know, mm -hmm. call it a sweet jar, call it a sugar jar. I'm sure there's something in Appalachian, Appalachian may, uh, magic that does the same thing. American folk magic that does the same thing. Like, and this idea that culture is supposed to be shared is only screamed from the people with no culture. Right. right. Culture is shared when it's chosen. Right. But from the people that took it from everybody else, you don't get to say that culture is supposed to be shared because that energy is exactly the healing that needs to be done because that's what they felt too. That's, 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 that's generational trauma. That's general, general, you know, generational um, <clears throat> healing that needs to be done because it's coming from that. Like, oh no, you, you need to share your stuff with me. Okay. You don't want to share with me. I'm going to take it and do it anyway right like what the fuck yeah it's so powerful to see because I, I I know very little about hoodoo in fact uh, TikTok has been teaching me so much um TikTok is great learning about it because there's like all these you know cultural crossovers and if I learn about something let's say the use of white sage um you know I was gifted years ago before I knew white sage was even endangered, let alone before I knew that um, the indigenous peoples of Turtle Island are requesting that we not use it. I was gifted blessed sage that because I have learned, you know, you know better, you do better. Right. So I will never again buy it. Right. Um, and I know that when I use it, it is a very special thing. And I need to give gratitude not only to the plant, but to the ancestors of this land, which I do anytime I do ceremony anyway. Um, you know, but to to really acknowledge the specialness that an indigenous person gifted this to me. And right. that I had no idea when it was given right. to me. And so to really use it with consciousness and with consideration um, is so important. And, and I have had people go, oh, like, we were just talking about how I, I'm not supposed to be buying white sage and you've got this container of white sage on your altar. Like, that's hypocritical, right? Like, yes, and. <laughs> right, it's back to the new Right, right. If I knew somebody um, because that person gifted it to me, they left my life as many magical people seem to do, right? They come and they go very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I am given an opportunity to give it back to an indigenous person and they are willing to receive it from me in a heartbeat. And right. until then, I will honor it and use it with such careful intention. Um, and yeah. I you agree know, with that. I personally was, sorry. No, I cut you off, Gad. I just, 
just that I've noticed that, and again, like speaking about ancestral work as a white person, I try to be very, very careful with the words that I use because I have been blessed with people who are not my blood ancestors being part of my guides at this moment. And sometimes people That's come beautiful. and go, so, you know, and I, it's a huge responsibility. I mean, who, and, and to honor and, and not disrespect and then learning, oh, that thing is disrespectful, you know, like to have one, like one of my guides does not, like, I do not cuss when I'm talking to them. I've got guides that like, think it's hilarious, right. you know, so it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to be very clear. Like your altar is here. I'm not going to cuss in the direction of your altar. Like I'm going to, you know, whatever, whatever. And just to like very, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous mentioning that on a podcast. Cause like, this is not a thing that I publicly speak about. Like I don't publicly talk about the fact that there are ancestors helping to guide me that are not my own because that would make a lot of people mad and probably will upon hearing this and I and that's okay I think that first of all for clarity in that I think that what people need to recognize is that they're our our spirit guides are not just our ancestors so that's something that's important there's a distinction there because I don't want people to listen and think like okay well dope I can go and like pray to these people's ancestors no do your own fucking work is the entire point of this podcast but (laughs) what it is is that like you know there's layers and nuance to even in your healing so when you're working ancestrally those are your that's your direct lineage right like you're gonna start with like the those four people that make you like your genetics, like when you go and do your 23 and me and all that kind of stuff, I think it's like your four grandparents or something like that's who you are. You are yeah. literally like those test results are from your four grandparents. Your parents aren't even in there. I don't think it's weird. It's some type of weird wonky thing. Anyhow. So you're dealing <laughs> with those direct lineages and that's ancestor work. Spirit guides are just like a pantheon of people that are like, Oh no, I'm gonna come in and work with you because I like the work that you're doing and like, and that's going to be intersectional spirit guides are definitely going to be intersectional. They're going to come in and be like, Ooh, you're doing, uh, -uh, mm -mm, tap into this energy right here because this person has this reach. So that's for the clarity there. So nobody, if they're going to get upset, they're going to get upset, but at least for the clarity to understand your direct ancestral work is lineage, your blood connection lines, your spirit guides are people that energy that decides to work with you. You don't even call upon them unless you open yourself up and say, hey, I open myself for my spirit team to come in or my spirit guides or guide me spirit. But this is not you deciding to go work with other people's ancestors. There is a line, there we go. (laughs) Point blank period, yes. That part. No, do not. ABE. Sorry. I'm trying to help you. Do not, do not do that shit. <laughs> the work that I do when I do intersectional healing work and intersectional any work, like all of my work is intersectional. So, and I tell people it's accountability and all the way through, right? Like, it's not like, I'm sorry, but no, no, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Hold the accountability all the way through. So I asked you, how do you make shift happen in your own life? And you said accountability in all things. Boundaries. I love boundaries. Like that's, they're my jam. Good fences make great neighbors. Like, mm -mm. 
Authenticity, yes, absolutely. Recognizing biases and learning about them. Unlearning the harmful and re-educating myself. Holding folks around me accountable. Offering healing work, mutual aid and education for those who seek understanding. And it was like, when I read that, I realized that you are definitely on my frequency and connection space. I was like, I could not have written that any better. I may actually steal it and Good. add it into my bio somewhere <laughs> because it makes so much sense. And it like, but, and that's what it is. It's accountability the whole way, recognizing who you are, how you show up in the world. Cause there's so many truths, right? And it goes back to releasing dichotomies, releasing constructs, releasing binaries. How you are perceived in the world may not be you, but you need to recognize all of those intersections. The yeah. way that you're perceived in the world is going to matter on how you carry yourself. And the way you know yourself is going to be how you deal with that perception. That's the key. Like, I don't argue with people as much as I used to because I recognize I was arguing from a space of trying to make them understand me. And I'm like, I didn't, you don't have to understand me. I understand me. I'm yeah. no longer in a defense mode. Like I said, with the, I will look at somebody who thinks, you know, because I show up racially ambiguous. I'm not phenotypically what the world says is a black woman. So I show up as racially ambiguous. So when somebody says, what, oh, Oh, I love your hair. What are you? And I say, I'm Irish. I don't have to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't because I'm just as Irish as I am black. I don't need to go into anything. Um, I've decolonized my own mind from white supremacy. I am not just black because of some weird one drop rule that held up white supremacy. You know, I'm Irish because I grew up with an Irish mom, grandma, aunts, cousins, and, and had Irish culture my entire life. Like I am no less Irish than any other Irish American here. I'm probably more so because I'm the only second generation. Some of them been here since 1700. And right. what the fuck is going on in Ireland? But anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> or any of that. But uh, so um, it's that, right? Like, and then that goes back to what you were saying, authenticity. And then the boundaries, I don't need to explain that. You can go Google it. You know what? Go Google, are there black Irish people? <laughs> like, I met a girl who looked black and said she's Irish. Google. <laughs> See what you come up with. <laughs> you know, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. And then the same for me. Like, yeah, go on TikTok. You'll figure it all out. Everything's on TikTok now. Everything. Yeah, I love TikTok. And then, like, I did like the same thing. white creators stuff. Or, I mean, at least for me, my thing just goes like as soon as I like three white creators at all, it's like, all white people. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I literally had to stop liking and I like some of them, but then it just feeds you. And like some things are definitely an algorithm. Some things, again, it's and or and because and nuance. And some things are just sheer numbers, right? Because it's percentages. Mm -hmm. Like if there's mm -hmm. 20,000 white creators on TikTok and 5,000, you know, black and 3,000 this and uh, like right. by sheer numbers, if you like three of them, well, you're going to you're going to see more of them because there's more of them there. Some of right. it is just like not that, <laughs> but you know, like when you were talking about the Lomi Lomi and the Hopo no, how do I say that? Ho'oponopono? Yep, that. <laughs> uh, I do not like to slaughter people's languages. I do not do that. Okay. Um, 
And I get this on my feed in Facebook and it bothers me, right? Like I've literally like learned this practice that you just said. And I'm like, no, why are you, why are you even giving me this? This is what, this is what, this is, this is, this is it. This is, you're doing this and this is what happens. They go on, they learn it online and now they think that they can practice it. And there is a, uh, two white women on TikTok that are like indigenous people and Hawaiian people are like, stop this. You're not even using the language. Like, and you have to understand that. Like you need to decolonize your magic. You need to decolonize your practice. Like you, certain things aren't even working for you because you're not even saying it right. Like I've even gotten so far away from saying, I don't even say I'm doing yoga anymore. Because yoga is an entire lifestyle and an entire practice that does not belong to me. I'm stretching. How difficult is that to say? How hard, right? I'm doing breath work. It's so easy to say that instead of yogic breathing, like breath work. I'm, I'm doing intentional body movement. There's a million different ways to say it, you know, and I'm saying like, I no longer say, um, chakra because chakra was never right anyways it's chakra and i can't even say that properly so i hate tearing people's language up you know what i'm saying so like energy centers it's so simple to decolonize your magic and be respectful i'm not running around here you know you know namaste that's not even how you say it it's not carrying the right energy you're not just stop yeah it's so simple to just stop and if we just stop and focused on ourselves and getting deep into a deep knowing of self, doing the shadow work of pulling up all that you suppress because you'll recognize that the person that's before you is a suppressed being. And Mm -hmm. that person that is inside that you pushed down is really who you are. And that person is probably really great that has some Mm -hmm. really real lived truths, but because you're showing up in the world so superficially right? from suppressing all the things so you could be palatable to another, you can't do anything authentically. And everything you do is shit because you're not your true self. You're not doing the work. You're not healing generationally. And then you're just perpetuating that for the next generation and then the victimhood that's like but i'm a good person you are you are probably a great person but you're not doing the inner work and that's the most important right yeah that lesson was so driven home to me a few years ago i hung out with a group of burners um and when I started hanging out with this group, I noticed this guy that I knew had had his massage license taken away because he was inappropriate with his clients um, two years. And, and I went around to like a handful of people said, do you know this? Do you know this? Everybody I spoke to knew that. Um, so I was like, I'm not going to go around to everybody in the group. I'm just going to make sure that like, he's not alone with people. I'm not alone with him. You know, like it almost made me feel safer with him because I knew where the line was. Right. Right. I knew he is a rapist when it came out that not everybody knew that, uh, two years later. And, um, it, it was amazing because, you know, I, over the two years watched this man be very generous with his time and his skills. He helped people with everything from building things to plumbing to gardening, like 
very generous with his time. And also he's a rapist. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I know of at least 50 people that he has touched inappropriately in some way. Um, we, we can't, you know, when he was literally saying, yes, I've done these things. Yes, I'm this person. The person he had been living with said, no, you haven't. You lived with me. You didn't do that to me. That's not how it works. But it's a very good metaphor for this, this process of unlearning these harmful binaries and harmful habits, right? Because, he, you know, you lived with me. You didn't touch me inappropriately. And it wasn't until one of her friends said he raped me that she then got mad about it. And they were talking about doing this restorative justice thing, blah, blah, blah. That's fine and dandy, but he didn't want restorative justice. He wanted the empathy from his own history of childhood abuse. And for him, that meant seeing the same emotion on people's faces, which is messed up on so many Mm -hmm. levels. But again, I spent two years watching him go out of his way, bend over backwards to help this community. Um, And just wild. And of course he didn't want to change anything. And they just like kicked him out of the group. And like, now all I can do is scream his name at the top of my lungs. Anytime he walks into a place, you know, he walks into a restaurant and and I'm like, oh, hey, there's a here, you know, I'm, I don't want to sit next to him. Um, you know, does that mean that he, he's never done any good in life? No. no, he's done a lot of good. He's done a lot of bad. Right. So in closing, because I feel like we can just continue this conversation, which I'm enjoying and may split into two parts, but I wanted to ask you, my last question was, if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked of yourself that I did not ask? Um, I would ask myself or anybody else that you talk to really like what ways do you like reinvigorate, rejuvenate, you know, like filling your cup. Like, I think that we talk a lot about um, pushing things out of us, but we don't ever discuss the fact that we need to fill the new spaces. Right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That is. So do you have an answer for how somebody Um, would rejuvenate themselves? Or at least find a way, because for everybody, it's not going to be the same. Right. For me, um, I am very clear after any uh, ceremony or sessions with people or any time that I have um, released anything emotionally myself um, and and doing the ancestral work, I make sure to to go to the bathroom. So water in, water out, right? Um, I like to use water to wash my face, my hands. I put it on my pulse points and sometimes I'll put it on my head and my feet just to kind of give myself that clearance um, to separate from the energy before. And from there, just good food, good water. And like finding inspiration and hope these days is so challenging. So for me, some days, my only inspiration is spite or (laughs) like... (laughs) Some days it's like my only inspiration is seeking hope, right? Like I I know I want to feel hope. So if I look for it, I might find it. That is really very practical. I myself am a huge, I wind up chugging tons of water Mm. with energy work. Um, Mm -hmm. Even like with this conversations, like tons of water, you know, you kind of chug and you like, like you said, water in, water out. Um, Also for me, I, um, 
I seal my circles or conversations with a stomp, a clap, a snap of the hands, mm. something to kind of like bind it and close up that sacred mm. space that was held. And um, I rest unapologetically, I rest. Mm. And I think that not enough of us do that. Like, you know what? Find the space, create the space for you to just rest and ingest the work that you did do and take yeah. it easy. Like just, it's okay. Well, It'll move through its own self. So yeah. I like that. And I've enjoyed this conversation and I feel like I would like to have you back on because I wanted to discuss the dichotomy of good and evil. And yeah. that is going to be great with you. Um, but I also want people to be able to find you. So where could they, find you when they go seeking people can find me online um on instagram i'm dope ass witchy graham i haven't been very um uh prolific on there um and then my business's name is alchemist's trading post and my website is alchemisttp.com um and so there's good stuff there i have a, a facebook page that's alchemist's trading post um and I think it's at Alchemy for Humanity if you're looking for the at. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. I hope people seek you out because you are doing huge, huge work here and it's super necessary. So thank you for making shifts happen in the world and thank you for being here on Let's Have the Conversation. Thank you so much. This was a blast. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. I can